The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Villato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. And we are joined by a good and old friend, one Mr. Joe DeLeon, who used to work right here for Big Blue View and now is the host of the First Team Believe Network. Joe, I got that correct, I am sure. (laughs) And I know everybody's eager to have you back, Joe. But we have to ask you the hardest question you're going to be asked in quite a while. Okay. How good is the long snapper from Charlotte. <laughs> I know you're a long snapping expert, bro. Yeah. This is right up your alley. Yeah. Ad- admittedly, I- I'm not going to be able to provide exact, very detailed analysis because I'm sure as you could imagine, I'm not <laughs> spending a lot of time uh, diving deep on UDFA long snappers, but uh, I know that he was in the top of the mix of the available UDFAs. Uh, he wasn't one of the bigger invites to one of the, um, the senior all-star games. Alex Ward was one of the bigger names amongst this grouping, but I think he's going to provide some good competition. I don't think he makes the roster because we know that the snapper situation for the Giants is kind of settled, but it's good to have competition. That's the way that I always look at it. He's a decent snapper and it's good to have competition to, to light a fire under the butt on the, uh, the guy who's the number one guy on the roster. Yeah. I love how Joe answered that with sincerity and i was just totally <laughs> for being a long snapper no, but hey whatever you'd be surprised so, how many times i get asked these questions <laughs> <laughs> now joe i really i really respect that but can we ask you since you're now on the outside of the giants organization you no longer cover the new york giants what is your honest opinion thirty thousand foot view on joe shane's second draft class with the new york football giants yeah admittedly the day three picks, except for like Eric Gray, I was a little un- underwhelmed by. And it was kind of the same thing for last draft class where it's like, okay, this is kind of just a bunch of random names. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of exciting ones. But what the good results were what happened on day one and day two. Getting Deontay Banks for me was such an awesome pick there in the first round. I, I would have also been content with any of the available receivers, but they kind of missed their their shot on getting one of those receivers. So for them to get Deontay Banks, who I feel fits perfectly for what we know that Wink Martindale looks for in corners. He's a really good athlete. We know that linearly he's fantastic. I think there's some refinement that does need to be done on his game, but man, Deontay Banks is going to be a really fun rookie to watch. But the other thing too, that's really interesting about this draft class is that I feel like all three of the guys that they took on 
rounds one through three were all names that were brought up for possibilities in the first round. So to come out with all three of those guys is, you know, a testament to the quality of the draft that they have. John Michael Schmitz, plug and play player, the highest floor out of any of the centers in the class. Um, I think that he's going to provide an instant impact. And then lastly, Jalen Hyatt, that's awesome that they got him. I, I was a big fan of Jalen Hyatt, not as a number one receiver in the class, but deep speed is fantastic. Deep route running is fantastic. And now they've got a guy like that that they can play off of in this receiving group. Yeah, the, uh, I think pretty much everyone agrees that Joe Shane knocked the first three picks out of the park, which is really what he did last year as well. But this year he didn't have two first round picks in the top 10 to do it with. So landing at least two starters, potentially three starters with your first three picks in the first three rounds is really impressive. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see how the Giants use Jalen Hyatt, whether or not they use him as a deep threat or kind of scheme him touches in the underneath area and use his speed and ability as a ball carrier. And Joe and Chris, I wanted to ask you this real quick because I haven't posited this quite yet. We all know one of the reasons why Jalen Hyatt fell is not just his slight frame, but also because he's coming from Josh Heupel's offense where he wasn't asked to run these diverse routes. His routes were basically you're going to run a nine because you're fast, you're going to run a deep over, or you're going to run a curl. I think there could be, possibly, and I know Jalen Hyatt feels this way after seeing the video circulate of him in the Cowboys scout, <laughs> that he might have a more refined route tree than anything that we've seen on film. Now, the NFL has made this guy run routes all throughout the pre-draft process, and they still felt comfortable allowing him to fall down to the third round. But Joe, is it unreasonable to think, if you're a Giants fan right now, that there is a little bit more meat on this bone for Jalen Hyatt, and maybe he's going to exceed the expectations of just being this guy who's going to stretch the defense, which is a very valuable trade. Yeah, and I think that's what's been really interesting about following Hyatt throughout this process is that you don't have enough evidence of what he can do outside of these deep route concepts because Tennessee's offense is designed around that and Hyatt was, de Hyatt was deployed as the guy to run a lot of those deep routes and he did it to perfection and it was such a great tandem of him and Hendon Hookers who has great deep ball accuracy but I think that his change of direction skills are, are, are strong. I do think that his routes could be cleaner I don't think that he's got the most precise route running ability. But one thing that I think excites me about Jalen Hyatt is that early on in his first year, he does have that high play speed that I think he just can get involved with them using him similarly to the way that he was used at Tennessee. And you don't need him to run this big, diverse route tree. Um, I think eventually, though, he does have the possibility to develop into that type of receiver. One of the things that I always said throughout this draft process with this draft class is that I don't think that there were really very many number one receivers. There weren't a lot of guys that are, this guy could be the alpha dog in the room. And I don't think Jalen Hyatt was ever going to be that. But if he plays well amongst the strengths of the group, uh, I could see a very productive rookie season and a very productive first couple of years at a position that the Giants desperately needed some juice. And if anybody wants just a, a little bit of more information on Jalen Hyatt and his skills, look, this guy averaged 41.8 yards per touchdown catch this season winning the Bolitnikoff award like he had like 77 yard touchdowns like insane numbers but if you go back to 2021 where he was in a bit role he only had two touchdowns both of them were from the two yard line one was a fade ball where he won off the release the line of scrimmage and the other one was a quick slant where really 
he had no business catching the football, but he did. And he reached, extended well away from his frame, plucked it out of the air. I think one thing Jalen Hyatt didn't necessarily get credit for throughout his college career was how good he was at tracking the football and how good his hands actually were. I think a lot of people just kind of wrote him off as a one-trick pony. Chris, would you agree with this? Absolutely. In fact, that was something I wanted to bring up is he has fantastic ball skills down the field. He is great at locating, tracking, adjusting to the ball down the field, and then like you said, extending, catching the ball away from his frame, which the Giants also have Darius Slayton, who is a definite speed guy. He has that deep threat ability, but not the best ball skills. He was the source for a lot of the complaints about drops in the Giants offense. Joe, did you watch anything on one Mr. Eric Gray out of Oklahoma, formerly from the Tennessee Volunteers? Because what this kid, in my opinion, lacks in deep speed, which everyone is looking for in a running back, but I feel like he makes right. up for it in spades, just off instincts and short area athletic ability. He has some nasty, stanky leg jukes all throughout his <laughs> all throughout his tape, Joe. So can you give the audience and us your opinions on Eric Gray? Yeah, I, I really thought that this was a, an underrated pick for what his role can be. And I think that knowing the types of running backs that the Bills looked for he can serve a, a that a similar type of a role. But the Jukes, I think, is a really good way to highlight the fact that despite him not having that long speed, he's a really good athlete. He was a really highly recruited kid. Uh, I believe he was drafted in the MLB or, or some type of a baseball background that he had when he was at Ole Miss. And he had this big drop-off when he transferred from Ole Miss to Oklahoma. And then this past year in Brenton Venable's first year, he exploded back onto the scene again. So I know that that type of production is in his wheelhouse. I think that he's got some great value as a receiver. This is a really nice addition to the running back room. And I think that he could be a, a really great third down option. I feel like just knowing again, going back to what has worked in Buffalo, I don't, they don't have a lot of guys that have tremendous long speed, but you do have a lot of guys that are shifty, that are quick. And I think that Singletary can play off you know, or not Singletary, uh, uh, Gray. I was thinking of Devin Singletary as an example, but Eric Gray can play off of Saquon Barkley's skills, assuming that Saquon comes back and is actually playing this season. So Joe and Chris, and Chris, I want to get your yes. opinion on this real quick. On another podcast, that's the comp that I had for for Eric Gray was the Devin Singletary type. I think Eric Gray is a little bit more dynamic in the, in the phone booth, if you will. Yeah. I don't really feel like it's too unreasonable to imagine that type of role. And if that's a good, that's a freaking fantastic role to find in the fifth round. I think the Bills spent a third yeah. round pick on Devin Singletary. And he was, I would say, the premier back in that backfield throughout his entire rookie contract. So, Chris, what do you feel about that specific comp? Do you think that Eric Gray could grow into that role if Saquon Barkley is not a giant beyond this season? I like it. Uh, the guy I kind of kept thinking of when I was watching Eric Gray was Miles Sanders. But I think they're kind of, similar backs where you don't have the great breakaway pull away speed you don't have the home run threat but you do have really quick feet really good vision solid contact balance the ability to make defenders miss in close quarters navigate the trash do all of that good all that good stuff and also catch the ball out of the backfield really be a complete back and i do think eric gray does have i'll say lead back maybe not starter bell cow potential but i think he could kind of take over for saquon barkley if 
this is Barkley's final year in New York if they aren't able to hang hammer out a long-term contract extension. And I'm fine with that, really, because you can build a really good backfield on the third day of the draft. You really don't need a super high investment at the running back position. You really can get some tremendous value on day three. And I, I kind of appreciate that that is what the team building model is now. And, and I'm not saying I'm not appreciative of taking Saquon Barkley and having him on this roster, but I, I think guys like Eric Gray go under-recognized. And again, to that point, to just to reiterate everything you just said there, Chris, that getting these guys later on day three is the best way to put together the unit. As long as you find guys that fit your needs and your desires at that running back position, you can have really good production, especially in this type of offense. I'm just looking at the running backs that were picked yeah, after the third round. You've got uh, Rashawn Johnson out of, out of Texas, uh, Izzy Ibanaconda Izzy out of Pittsburgh, Chase Brown out of Illinois, Eric Gray, Evan Hull, Chris Rodriguez, Deuce Vaughn, Zach Evans. Like These are really good running backs going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. So you, you really can get a lot of value at the running back position. Like just mamas, don't let your sons grow up to be running backs. <laughs> yes. Yes. May, let them develop how to release off a line of scrimmage and run routes. Like, yes. Let them get that or, wide receiver money <laughs> or throw the ball. If they could throw the damn football, that would be best for them. Joe, before we go to break, I wanted to ask you kind mm. of an overarching type of question on draft philosophy, because Joe Shane last year, when they needed a lot of roster spots, he was not shy to trade back twice in the second round to select Wandell Robinson, to get more kicks at the can, to add players like Dane Belton on day three. In this draft class, the Giants traded a fourth round pick to move up, I think, 16 slots to select Jalen Hyatt in the third round. And we also saw the Giants trade up one spot with Jacksonville, trading two day three picks to secure Deontay Banks. What are your thoughts on that type of philosophy, specifically when it's geared towards a perceived weaker type of draft class, which I would say the 2023 draft is? Do you like that type of aggressive nature from Joe Shane to get your guys, or are you more of the, hey, let's just trust our board and we'll take who is there type of individual? I, I usually lean the opposite of trusting your board. And then if anything, I'm always an advocate for trading back. But I, I think for this draft class, as you mentioned, it's a weaker class. And after Jalen Hyatt, I think that things started to really thin out at receiver. So for them to try and go and get their guy, they definitely didn't want to miss out. And I think I would have been disappointed if they missed out on taking a receiver that early. I also, with Banks moving up to where they, they did, that's also a risk you have to take with all the corners that went off the board or could have kept going off the board in the first round. Uh, lucky for them, they didn't have to move up too far. But I think that when you're trying to, again, as you mentioned, a class that many of people have described as devoid of talent, there were a lot of position groups that I thought lacked depth. So for them to address those concerns and get those players, I think they could have waited on corner. But for receivers specifically, that is a position that you do need to move up in this draft class because, again, no depth. There wasn't a lot of great top-end talent. And for him to land where he was and for them to have to trade up and get that type of value, I'm in support of it. I think your approach for trading is, again, as you talked about here, it's so dependent on what the value is and what the type of the tra uh, draft class it is in terms of the overall talent. And where your team is, too, in terms right. of roster building, roster right. development. and. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get to more excellent questions to the one and only Mr. Joe DeLeon, <laughs> we will take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. All right, Joe, thanks again for joining us. I wanted to ask you, I know we've touched a little bit on these day three players, but the old Dominion kid, Trey Hawkins III, were you able to see any of his film and what do you think his upside could be beyond just being a special teams type of player? Because I got my hands on some of his tape and he is just a he is just a hard hitting dude bro, and he is a fun watch. So what's your opinion on Trey Hawkins the third? Yeah, he's one of those guys, admittedly, where I didn't get a much breakdown on a guy like that later on. And there, there were a couple of their picks and he was one of them that I was just like, Okay, that's not who I would have expected him to go with. I, I didn't really even consider if he was a, too, a truly draftable kid. But I think as you've described in there, being a hard hitter, that is what's going to work well on special teams. And I think as they've drafted so many defensive backs, he's it's going to be hard for him to work his way into the rotation. But that's what I want in special teams. I want somebody who's going to fly around like a bat out of hell, who's going to hit hard, who's going to give 110%. Um, so to that point, great selection there for, for somebody to fill out the back end of the depth and, and to get a nice special teams player. Yeah, that is unless, uh, Wink Martindale decides to run a defensive, uh, personnel grouping with just three big honk and meat shields on the defensive line and eight <laughs> DBs out there, which I wouldn't put past him, honestly. Possible. <laughs> Yeah, that would be something that Jordan Riley can also help out with. And Jordan Riley was the first seventh round pick of the New York Giants, just an absolute mammoth of an individual. And one other interesting note on these these back end guys, Trey Hawkins, the third, Javarius Owens and Jordan Riley, all three of them were at one point Juco players. They all either started at Juco, Trey Hawkins started there, or they transferred to it after attending a bigger school or signing at a bigger school in Javarius Owens. Mm -hmm. Uh, case where he signed at Kansas State, then went to Juco, and then ended up at Houston. But I felt like that was an interesting note. But Joe, we could transition a little bit here to rookie minicamp. What what do you think we should, or maybe not just us, but do you have any insight on what actually happens at rookie minicamp and what these prospects who the Giants just added to their team this past week, what they could expect heading in there, and what could the Giants learn from those players? Right. It's it's a really uphill battle for these rookie minicamp guys to earn opportunity because they they invite as many players as possible, one, to get eyes on guys that they had question marks about. But most importantly, you just need enough bodies to run the rookie minicamp. So you're, you're kind of bringing a lot of dudes in that maybe have no expectation of even coming close to making the roster. I, I will say these types of players, you're looking for those back-end special teams type players on the roster. Sometimes there are the players that do have good upside that maybe came from difficult spots. Like one that immediately comes up to mind here is like Hunter, Hunter John, Johnson from uh, from Clemson. And I think he was at Northwestern, if, unless I'm misremembering and mixing him up with somebody else. 
like a guy like that was decently recruited, has some talent. Maybe he shows up, throws the ball around well, and you can invite him to training camp. But um, for the most part, it's it's tough for a lot of these guys to make the roster. And I see Chris writing down Tommy DeVito, and I completely forgot that he was in the mix. He, he's another player, a, a former New Jersey high school football great. And I thought that was really fun that uh, that DeVito <laughs> did get that that opportunity with the Giants. Yeah, I'm all about the Tommy DeVito train right now. <laughs> yeah. Former Syracuse Orange transferred to Illinois and had himself really a good year last year. He's yeah. he's an interesting guy because he's he's old. He'll be 25 in August. Well, that, that's not old, but it is for a rookie. Uh, I think he's only about, what, six foot, six one, something like that. But he can move. He can throw the ball pretty darn well, too. So mm-hmm. we might actually have an interesting quarterback battle in rookie minicamp. If Tommy DeVito pushes Tyrod Taylor, that's not good for Tyrod Taylor right now. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna pull from the Pisano from New Jersey. But Joe, do you have anything on Bryce Ford Wheaton? So we're talking a lot about these UDFAs, and there's two that really stick out to me. One being wide receiver Bryce Ford Wheaton, who took everybody by surprise at the combine, just size, speed, individual. And then another is Haba Baldonado, another Paisan right there from Pitt, the edge rusher. And I'm also really interested in him just because the Giants did not draft an edge rusher. And this is somebody who I feel like could compete with Timon Fox. What are your opinions of those two specific UDFAs? First of all, that was masterful pronunciation. Um, I haven't even wanted to try to attempt to pronounce uh, (laughs) Baldonado if if I'm getting that right. But Bryce Ford Wheaton, for me, I think the the rest of the grouping is just a grouping of who's who. And DeVito is like a fun name to pay attention to. Maybe he sticks around for training camp. And um, like I'm aware of who Caleb Sanders is from covering FCS football, but he's he's pretty underwhelming physically in terms of his size. But Bryce Ford Wheaton, I'm actually surprised he went undrafted. He had a fantastic combine. His testing numbers were silly. And a lot of times, guys who are inconsistent on film but have really good testing numbers tend to get opportunities as draft picks. So for him to go undrafted could be a steal for the Giants as a, as a sleeper to make the roster. I think what was really interesting about him, like he popped into onto my radar, I think it was week one when they played Pitt, and he had a really good game. He made a number of great catches. But then the rest of the season, we saw a lot of the problems in his game, a lot of the issues of why he is not being consistently brought up uh, in the conversation of this receiver draft class. But the guy's a good athlete. I, you got to find a way to get a guy like this on the roster. Uh, have him run down on kickoff. Have him do something. He's got the size. He's got the frame to do it. Maybe he can develop into something, but he's got the traits. He's got the speed, and he just needs, I think, maybe some time to figure it out. And if he does, there's some upside there. One thing about Bryce Ford Wheaton that I noticed throughout his tape, and Chris, I want to see if you saw this too. Yep. And this is one of the reasons probably why he went undrafted with those type of size and athletic ability measurables. He plays hot potato with the football, bro. There are times where he he comes out of his break and that football hits him in the hands and he literally, it's not a drop. It's like, I'm going to toss it in the air so a defensive (laughs) back can catch it. I saw that like two or three times on his film. I'm like, bro, that is just wild. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. He he was incredibly frustrating at the catch point where he would make these insane circus catches, you know, like one-handed standing on his head type catches. And then others where the quarterback couldn't have handed the ball to him any easier, any more, any more perfectly. And he'd play hot potato or just bounce off his hand. He'd fight the ball. And yeah, that 
that speaks to the consistency that Joe was talking about. And, you know, maybe some time working with an NFL coach, you know, as where football mm-hmm. is his full-time job, he can iron that out and really kind of unlock the athleticism he showed at the combine. Because I mentioned this when we talked about him in a previous podcast, I didn't think he was going to going to test the way that he did. I am down as a good, but not great athlete. So maybe it's just him getting more comfortable with his route running, with his technique, that sort of thing that will unlock it. But he's going to be an interesting follow. Absolutely. So Chris, do you have anything else for our guest here? Mr. One Joe DeLeon? Well, let me see. We already asked him about the long snapper. Uh, I was going to say, do you have any more specialist (laughs) questions? (laughs) I got to say, I don't mean to cut you off, Chris, but you guys don't even know how many times I've been asked about Jake Moody getting picked by the 49ers. I just did a, a Patriots show where we talked about both of the specialists that they took. So it has been beaten to death. The, uh, the, uh, the the conversations about about specialists. This isn't necessarily about those prospects, but how big was your grin when you saw a third round kicker go off the board? No, the complete opposite. Oh, I was <laughs> upset. I well, because my problem is is that like I support these guys, and I want them to succeed, but it, it's setting these guys up for failure. It is a really hard task to make an NFL roster as a specialist and investing a high draft pick. There is such high pressure for you to succeed. I don't think it's worth spending a, a draft pick unless it's like fifth round, sixth round or later on, on a specialist, because more often than not, these guys don't stick around. Like I look at Justin Rowaster is the example that I bring up a lot, who in 2020 was drafted by the Patriots and he got cut during training camp. Roberto Aguayo was drafted really highly and he didn't stick around for, for very long because he was really inconsistent. If these guys get in their own head, kickers and punters, it's downhill. There's no fixing it. It even happens with snappers. Sometimes they're, the Vikings drafted a kid named Austin Cutting a few years ago, and he had a fantastic rookie season. And then after that, got in his head, was skipping the ball back there on field goals, and they cut him. So it's it's a waste of a draft pick. You can get good football players as UDFAs, even as rookie minicamp invites, as we've seen. Who was the name of the uh, Rosas? The, like that guy yeah. wasn't a draft pick. That guy was completely off the radar. And if he wasn't an idiot off the field, he'd still be in the NFL. He was an all pro kicker. It's it's just such a crapshoot. I think it's dumb drafting guys like that. Uh, I was going to call it the Roberto Aguayo effect, but you you stole my thunder there because that kid that, that's <laughs> drafted. That was a day two pick that the Buccaneers invested in him, and I yeah. felt really bad. It's unfortunate. Not everyone could be Sebastian Janikowski, who was a first round pick, a first round, right. <laughs> <laughs> and lasted so long in the league. Oh man, the, the right. Oakland Raiders back in the day, but Chris. Anything else for Joe? Or do we have anything on specials that we want to ask this this individual? <laughs> uh, why don't we spare him that? But I, I I do want to ask, have you gotten a chance to watch uh, Baldonado? I have I have not, admittedly. Okay. I, I've had to very quickly pivot to the 2024 class. Uh, so as soon as the draft class ended, uh, yeah, I've been, well, I've been watching very many exciting guys. Right. I basically I've been watching a lot of FCS guys, which is not very exciting. But uh, no, I have not had, the, had much of a chance to watch him. We know you love your FCS ball, though, Joe. <laughs> I wanted to ask you before we do get out of here, though, just because you brought up the 2024 uh, draft class. Can you give the audience a snapshot of who to pay attention to? Who are the players that you think could have a good college football season? Who will be talking about next year around this time? 
I think there's five that are going to be really important to pay attention to that have the chops to succeed when it's all said and done. And to, cause like everything's just kind of hearsay right now. Everybody's just throwing out names and seeing what sticks. And a lot of times it doesn't happen, but the five that I think that will stick uh, are Olu Fashano, the Penn state offensive tackle who would have been top 10 this year, Joe Alt from Notre Dame, who is just so technically refined for how young he is and is going to be uh, an amazing pro. The two quarterbacks, yes, an offensive tackle. My apologies. Yeah, left tackle for Notre Dame. Uh, The two quarterbacks, Drake May from North Carolina and Caleb Williams from USC, two total opposite sides of the coin. One is improvisational. One of them, uh, you know, he's got like a little bit of Andrew Luck in him, the way that he plays the game, a little bit more quieter than Caleb Williams is. And then obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the few instances where we've got a receiver that's worthy of a top five pick. And if he lives up to the expectations, he is going to be a really good pro football player. But uh, outside of those five guys, I think there's going to be a lot of push and shove. But um, that, to me, I think are the big big names for the upcoming class. And Joe, thank you so much for joining us here. Before we also get out of here, can you also just tell everyone where they can find you, find your work covering the draft and everything? Uh, yeah, at Joe DeLeon on Twitter and then at the first team pod is uh, where you can find the podcast on Twitter and Believe Network on uh, on Twitter and YouTube. You can catch my show as well as all the other amazing content that we uh, we have on the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Joe, here on the Chris and Nick show on Big Blue View Radio Network. Joe used to be very familiar with that. But everybody, please, if you have not done so already, please check out Joe's work and also head on over to BigBlueView.com where we have all of our written content covering the draft and your beloved New York football giants. Thank you, everyone, and have a lovely day.